0: done you are listening to veggie doctor radio and this is episode number 119 hey i'm your host dr yami i'm a board certified pediatrician certified health and wellness coach author and speaker
1: We're having broccoli. And I think also the the power of starting small um, with our personal habits and what we expect of our families as well.
0: Hey, 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 veggie lovers, welcome back! I can't believe that we are wrapping up the pediatric series. It has been so amazing to interview. All of these great guests. They're so knowledgeable, so loving, so compassionate, so many reassuring words. And I really, really hope that you've loved it and that you've gotten something out of it, that it's answered some of your questions. But if not, let me know. What do you want to see on the podcast? Who do you want to hear? And next year on the pediatric series, who should I invite? Are there any? guests that you would love to have on the podcast to talk about pediatrics and how to raise healthy, happy, long living kids. So whoever you know, or if you have any ideas, let me know. And if you loved it and it was exactly what you needed, please let me know as well. So to wrap up the series today, we are going to hear from Dr. Kadira Ali Huff, She is so wonderful. I am so grateful that I got to meet her and see her light and the love coming through her. It's it's just wonderful. I know that you're going to fall in love with her too. But before you hear about Dr. Huff and the conversation that we had, if you would like to support my podcast, I would appreciate it so much. There's two ways that I'm going to tell you about that you can help contribute financially to the production of both the podcast and of my YouTube videos. The first is to become a patron. There's three levels, five, 15, and 20. You only have a few days left, but if you become a $20 a month patron, then you are going to receive an autographed copy of my book, A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy. But also the $15 and $20 patrons get extra perks like bonus content that nobody else gets anywhere else, monthly Q&As, fan requests, and lots of other fun stuff. So Head over to patreon.com forward slash the Dr. Yami or go to the show notes. The link will be there. The other way that you can support the show is by shopping. Who doesn't love shopping? So go to my affiliate store, dryami.com forward slash shop. You're going to find a lot of my favorite things and I get a small percentage of those purchases that will go back to help make the podcast and my videos better and to support our work. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. If right now you can't contribute financially, but you need some help transitioning to a plant-based lifestyle, you need recipes, you need to learn more about this, head over to dryami.com forward slash free. I have lots of goodies there, how to replace meat, how to replace dairy, eating out, shopping lists and it'll be growing and growing because we'll be adding more goodies there for you. I would love to give a shout out to Bieber4556 who left me a review on Apple Podcasts titled Love. I enjoy listening to this podcast in between classes on campus and while I commute, love the guests every episode and love the evidence-based approach. I do wish the episodes dove a little deeper into the science and medicine of why lifestyle changes occur after altering your diet. Otherwise, I'm a big fan and plan on listening to every episode created. Thank you so much Bieber for I appreciate that so much and thank you for the feedback and yeah I mean if you veggie lovers want to hear more about why why eating more whole plants actually works why it helps decrease the risk of chronic disease and helps us live long healthy lives I can go into that I can do it either through monologues or have some guests on here that are going to talk more about those kinds of things. So for those of you that want the science, we can do it. But I also figured there's a lot of you out there that are in the beginning stages or you need more support that's less sciency and more practical. So that's what I try to apply. I try to make it actionable so that you can take these episodes and you can do something afterwards. I love the science. I'm a huge nerd, so don't get me wrong. But if you want to hear more science, we can put a little bit more science in there. Just a reminder that the information on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment. If you have concerns about you or your child's eating, nutrition, or growth, please contact your health professional. Okay, so Dr. Kadira Ali Huff, she is so beautiful. She is a board certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, and she practices primary care pediatrics in Washington, D.C. with a slant towards preventive medicine. She got her medical degree from the University of Maryland School of Medicine and did her pediatrics residency in the community health track at Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C. While at John Hopkins Bluebird School of Public Health, she earned a Master of Public Health in Policy with a research focus on food systems and health disparities. Wow, that sounds really fun. So in her practice, Dr. Huff integrates lifestyle medicine into every visit through discussion on how lifestyle habits affect virtually every health concern. She loves coaching families on how to build healthy foundations through physical activity, plant-based nutrition, and stress management, among other strategies. In addition to a primary care role, Dr. Huff founded a business, Sprouting Wellness, to coach families along the journey from information to implementation of healthier lifestyle habits. As a whole family health advocate, Dr. Huff is passionate about creatively delivering lifestyle medicine education in a form that spurs families to create a culture of health at home, one healthy habit at a time. So she lives in Maryland with her husband and two daughters, and she loves traveling, writing her Peloton, and cooking new plant-based recipes. This interview was so fun. We had such a great time. And you're going to learn so much from her approach. So thank you so much for coming along this journey with me and the first ever pediatric series on Veggie Doctor Radio. Again, I hope you just loved it and learned so much and are able to apply some of this information immediately to living the life of your dreams with your family. Please give me some feedback. I hope that you really enjoy this last episode and let's dive in. Dr. Kadira Ali Huff, thank you so much for joining me on Veggie Doctor Radio. I'm so excited to get to know you better. Thank
1: you so much for having me, Dr. Yami. I am a big fan of your work, and so this is an honor. So thanks
0: for having me today. Awesome. Awesome. So exciting. And I just found out that we are Fellow Pelomaniacs. So I feel even closer to Mm -hmm. you now. This is going to be so fun. So let's start at the beginning. Okay. Tell me about your plant based journey. Mm, That is a really great place to start.
1: So interestingly, I was raised Um, plant-based. My parents, they were vegetarian. They were along the plant-based spectrum, I'll say that. And so at times, we skewed more towards the vegan side of things versus vegetarian. But um, all throughout my childhood, since birth, there were no no poultry or other forms of meat. And so that is kind of the foundation that I am built on. And that is the starting point from which I really strayed most... um, pronounced during my medical training. So residency was a time of really living the anti-lifestyle is what I like to call it in terms of high stress. Mm -hmm. Your sleep is all over the place and not getting enough. The quality is poor. My movement regimen was really off kilter as well. And then just kind of eating for emotions in a lot of ways to kind of manage the stress and also to kind of stay awake. So during my pediatrics residency training, I ended up gaining Rapid weight and quite a lot of it um, over the three year period. And at the end of residency, I'm looking at like wanting to become a mom. I'm looking at starting my career as a pediatrician and I realized I was not feeling really great in my skin and also feeling quite tired. And I think having a little bit more free time as I entered attending hood to be like, okay, now's my time to set up a routine to really pour into myself after giving so much during training. um, I really started to really be more deliberate in terms of my eating, really moving toward more of a a whole food, um, plant-based diet instead of eating out and doing the process quick stuff. I'm like, okay, Kadir, we're going to prioritize meal plans. We're going to prioritize cooking at home. And then, um, that was my starting point. And then really over time, as I delved more into lifestyle medicine and just the evidence, um, for more of an exclusive plant-based diet, I really started to, you know, remove the dairy and remove the eggs and move towards a hundred percent plant-based. Um, but yeah.
0: Yeah. I love it. What a great story. And definitely residency is such a tough time. And I remember where I went to residency, they would boast that they would spend half a million dollars a year feeding us. So we had free food all oh. the time. Like once a month, we would have a grilled cheese bar where like somebody would come and <laughs> would have that Texas toast mm-hmm. and like oh. multiple slices of cheese with like the butter. It was like, we lived to eat, you know, it was yes. like that was like the stimulation. That, that was, was the, the highlight, highlight of the day. After yeah. you've been awake for 30 hours, you're like, yeah. yes, give me like two of that those girls' cheese. Yes. You know, so yep. I can totally identify with that. Mm-hmm. And also, isn't it a little sad though that we have to be like for medical training? It takes so long. And mm-hmm. me and you, we didn't go to fellowship. Like, so a little bit out a little bit earlier, but almost 30 years old before we actually got to be like, okay, Now let's take care of ourselves. I had the exact same experience, Uh you know.
1: It's wild. Like you feel like it's kind of like delayed onset adulthood where like other people have started to tinker around with their routines and, you know, really pouring into their health. But that's
0: a little, little delayed for us. Yeah. like I didn't have any hobbies. Mm-mm. I didn't have anything. It was like, okay, Who I'm am start I? seeing a therapist now. I'm going to clean up my eating. I'm going to start exercising. <laughs> like, oh, I'm almost 30. I got to get started on this stuff. Exactly. Better late
1: than never. Better late than never.
0: I want to go back and ask, why did your parents have a plant-based diet? Is there, was there any reason why you were raised in that? What was mm-hmm. your parents' reasoning for that?
1: That's a really great question. I think it was multifactorial for them. Um, A lot of it was more of like health reasons for sure. Um, And just recognizing that a plant-based diet was going to afford us much more nutritionally robust foods than, you know, the standard American diet. So they were very health conscious. Um, And then I think there was a political underpinning for them, too. Mm -hmm. They were very active in, um, you know, the Black Liberation Movement in the 70s. They went to Howard University. And there's just a lot of political activism. And a big part of that was, you know, taking power over health and wellness and not relying on the medical system necessarily to provide that for you. And that there was so much power on even an individual level around what we nourish our bodies with. And that was a huge component, I think, too.
0: Oh, wow. I love that. How cool Mm -hmm. to have
1: parents like that. That's so fun. A fantastic example. I'm like trying my hardest to like pass that into my daughters too.
0: Well, speaking of, I wanted to talk to you about what lessons you have learned Mm -hmm. as far as habit change when it comes to your own parenting experience. You have two daughters of your Mm -hmm. own. Mm -hmm. And I know that when we become parents, we have to go through that journey again. Like what do we want to pass down to our kids? So what Mm -hmm. have you learned on your journey? That is a really great thinking question,
1: and I think it's an evolution. Um, I think first and foremost, thinking about the moment after residency when I'm starting to establish habits was the importance of building systems Mm -hmm. and not relying on kind of you know, taking it one day at a time. when it comes to successful behavior change, I think having routines and a system that you build um, deliberately really comes in handy with the chaos of parenthood because right? Like life is full of wrenches and weeks change from, you know, weeks change, you know, from week to week. And so having that system already in place where, you know, this is what I do almost no matter what because obviously life happens and sometimes we're not going to be perfect but um one thing as an example was my meal planning so i became very regimented saturday i'm going to think about what do you want to eat this week you know trying to add some variety but also recognizing i want to make things simple for, as well but having a plan in place like monday through saturday this is the plan and then creating the grocery list after we have the meal plan on saturday and then sunday grocery shopping day and mm-hmm. so no matter how crazy the weekend is i'm like i know this has to happen no matter what. Um, so that was really, really helpful for me. Um, and I think also the, the power of starting small um, with our personal habits and what we expect of our families as well. Um, during resident, like post-residency, I really wanted to get back into jogging. Like I really enjoy running. It's just so therapeutic. It clears my mind. But I had really fallen out of the habit when I looked at um, post-residency life. So I'm like, where do I start? Let's start small, half a mile. Let's jog, walk half a mile. And then every couple of weeks, I would add another half a mile. But like all along the way, I was carving out that time to work out, even if it was very modest in terms of pace and, you know, intensity. But I was building it into my schedule. And then over time, I would incrementally add another half a mile, another half a mile. And then I looked up and after about, you know, six to nine months, I'm running a 10K. And so it really, it really, really, it works. Um... And I would say the last thing in terms of parenthood is just be flexible, right? Like we have to be flexible with ourselves. We have to be flexible with what we expect of our loved ones. And I think that's a powerful lesson to our kids too, that like life is not perfect, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We as parents are imperfect, but I think that being able to model that like messiness and how we regroup when we maybe like have lapses in our ideal healthy habits, that's really powerful for kids to see too.
0: Oh my gosh. So beautiful. Mm-hmm. I love it. Oh, so amazing. <laughs> um, you know, that systems thing is, yes. it's so important. It I, is. My whole life is built around systems and routines. Mm-hmm. And what I think it helps the most because I'm a free spirit, but at mm-hmm. the same time, I want to ensure that I get things done. Yes. I want to make it easy for myself. And mm-hmm. this is what I like, I think a lot of pe- people don't realize because they don't want they feel like they don't want to be boxed into something. Right. right. But actually it it liberates your brain. So mm-hmm. what I feel like it helps Do is ease that decision fatigue that we get. So if we have to be thinking all the time, like, oh my God, what am I gonna make for dinner tonight? What am I gonna make for dinner? What am I? It's like, well, you're like, whatever, I'm just gonna order pizza. Exactly. If you do that every single day, it's not sustainable. Exhausting. Like it's not so having this, these systems in place relieves that decision fatigue so that Mm -hmm. it's just automatic. It becomes a habit and it makes it easy for you. So I think that's what I want people to realize is that. Really, it's a way to make it easy, not a way to be restrictive.
1: Exactly, there's liberation in structure. <laughs> there yeah. really, really is. Um, and I think the other important thing to think about: you can build in, you know, an eat out night. You know, mm-hmm. like just because you have the the system doesn't mean it needs to be all like home cooking or this that, or the other. Plan for fun. Plan for you know those uh, other moments to enjoy life.
0: Yes, we definitely do that. So our eat out night is Friday. Nice. We, the boys don't ever let us forget. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> How could they? They're the ones that decide what we're gonna have, usually. So, you know, that's part of our routine. We we look forward to it, yep. we enjoy it together, but then we know that Tuesdays are taco night and Wednesdays are right. pasta night. And of course I change it up, mm-hmm. but I don't have to be reinventing the wheel every, every single, single week. night. And I know that we're gonna have a nice satisfying, nourishing meal. So that's, that's I love huge. those tips. Yeah. Tell me about your philosophy on the parent child relationship when it comes to behavior change. I know this is something we really wanted to get into on this yeah.
1: This is a big one, and I think that there's so many layers. Um, doing primary care pediatrics, we talk a lot about the importance of the family unit being on board as much as possible when approaching behavior change and lifestyle change. Um, one big, I think, mental obstacle that I think parents have is recognizing that we shouldn't be asking the child to do anything for the most part that the whole family unit isn't going to support and be on board with. Um, Because when it comes down to singling out an individual child who might have you know, maybe elevated weight or other little health issues creeping up, it really leads to a lot of um, unintended negative consequences by doing that. Mm-hmm. And also the child isn't going to be as successful as if, as the whole family being involved and having that support and knowing we're all working together towards a common goal of like health and wellness. Mm-hmm. So I would say that's the like the biggest um, initial starting point. And then, just recognizing that um you know behavior change is going to be most effective when everybody works together um in terms of you know goal setting, in terms of supporting. And then also, when everybody's working towards similar goals, you're able to make changes in the home um, that are going to have a likelihood of being long uh, longer lasting. For instance, okay, if we're trying to, cut down on juice. It's going to be really hard to do that if the juice is still there and everybody else is still drinking juice, but the one kid's being told, don't drink juice Mm -hmm. versus, hey, we're all going to have this shared goal of like, we want to cut down on juice. We want to increase our water intake. Let's maybe buy half as much juice this week um, and let's all maybe have a a shared goal of maybe one cup per day. And we choose whenever we want to have that cup. And then you have that sense of teamwork. You have that sense of shared goals. Um, So I think that that's really key to remember. Um, And then as a part of that, one thing that comes up in primary care is that parents feel bad about asking other children in the home to be on board sometimes with these little health changes. And the other aspect I like to focus on when we're thinking about family-focused behavior change is that everybody wins when we're trying to get healthier. And so let's say one particular child might be having a few um, health concerns early on that other children are going to benefit by making the exact same nutritional and fitness and, you know, even mindfulness changes. Everybody wins when these changes are made. So I think that kind of reframing from um, a perspective of maybe like deprivation or being restrictive to, hey, this is going to open up better health for everybody. So let's all try to get on board, you know, incrementally. Um, And then lastly, I think sometimes it can be really hard as a parent to step fully into this role of boundary setting um, around food uh, specifically, I find that. And by that, I mean, parents feel bad for saying no to certain things like, oh, I don't want to deprive them or, you know, I don't want to set up, um, you know, an unhealthy relationship with food, which we absolutely do not want to set up an unhealthy relationship with food. However, one of our like fundamental jobs as parents is to create boundaries in all sorts of ways in our kids' lives. Like we have boundaries around, you know, wearing seatbelts in cars. We have boundaries around getting schoolwork done. There are boundaries everywhere and that's part of parenting. And so the same kind of, um, empowering thought, I like to apply to healthy lifestyle changes too. It's literally our job to teach children how to treat their bodies and how to live well um, from head to toe. And so just kind of stepping in to that power as a parent. um, And it's a big responsibility. It's not one to be taken lightly, but it's one that's kind of fundamental to our job as parents, I think is an important mental shift as well.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that. I feel that a lot of parents need to be given permission, like yes. you said, to step into their power to you feel can, empowered. Yes. I've had parents come into me that they have toddlers, I mean, like two-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And when I say, you know, I'll say like, are you brushing teeth? Are you helping brush teeth? They'll say something like, oh, they won't let me. Right. I'm like, but they're two, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, you know, so I think yes. that there are some parents that they they feel so timid about it. But the same term that you said, like these boundaries, I call loving limits. Yes, because it's true. Like, I mean, I do teach intuitive eating. Mm -hmm. And I do want parents to help children learn how to tune into their bodies so to honor and respect their hunger and satiety. But if we just had like M&Ms lying around all the time, I mean, like, yeah, everybody's just going to be eating M&Ms just all eating the time, it. you know? So we have to set up our environment in the way that it's health promoting for yes. everybody, for yep. our, the way that our brains work as humans. So I think understanding those things is, is really important mm-hmm. whenever we're trying to take on these tasks as parents. So I think those are all great tips. Tell me a little bit more about role modeling. Why is Mm -hmm. role modeling so important in teaching children healthy habits? So
1: as cliched as it is, I think it starts with the idea that we're our kids first teachers, like, like it or not, they are learning from what we say. um, But more importantly, from what we do, and it can be a pretty weighty burden and sense of responsibility. And I think that parenthood in so many ways, it challenges us to rise. It challenges us to evolve um, and to get better, Um, not to attain some lofty goal of perfection, but just to be in evolution and in progress. And I think that applying that frame of mind to healthy lifestyle, it's so key. Um, And thinking about home being a a health haven in a way is like, that's what I like to call it, where kids go out into the world, there's fast food, there's marketing, there's, you know, this, that, and the other that are kind of enticing kids into maybe lifestyle habits that aren't always the best. Um, And so you want home to be kind of that like home health base where they're getting that positive messaging, they're getting that You know, modeling in terms of this is what we are aspiring to. Like, again, we're not going to be perfect. It's going to be like messy at times, but these are our fundamental principles in terms of healthy eating, in terms of how we treat our bodies, in terms of how we treat our minds. You want them to have kind of a default to fall back on, even if they stray, which is inevitable. And like going back to my personal story, like I had all these wonderful examples and my parents were packing my lunches and all this. What did I do during residency? I strayed big time. But I always had that is like a default thing to fall back on where I had a sense in terms of what an optimal diet was, what does fueling my body really look like and feel like. And I think that's one of the the most important um, jobs as a parent. And it starts with us trying our hardest to fight the fight too, and to put these into motion.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. But I I love how you keep going back to it's not about perfection. It's really not. Because really, it is beneficial for children to see us problem solve, right? Absolutely. It's important for them to see that we're not just like born like these perfect broccoli eaters that we just want to no. eat broccoli all day long. You know, like no, we want donuts and pizza too, just like everybody exactly. else. How do you work that into a lifestyle? We can model that for children. Yep how we can choose health promoting foods, but also balance them, just like you were talking about before that flexibility of balancing them with travel and eating out mm-hmm. and celebrations mm-hmm. and birthdays, and, and all of that stuff. So I think that that's so important. But just to emphasize that it's not about being perfect, you Absolutely know, not. So for the listeners out there. You just keep tweaking. You just keep, keep like you're saying, evolving, changing things so that you find what your your sweet spot's going to be. And of course, once you find the sweet spot, things change and then you got to find another sweet a spot. New sweet so, spot.
1: <laughs> yeah, I love the point about the moderation and modeling moderation. Just mm-hmm. as we model all these other principles of healthy lifestyle, moderation is a huge one that I really try hard to work at just because like, we're so passionate about healthy lifestyle and lifestyle medicine. But I don't want to become an extremist in that. Yes. I want to really try to follow the middle path. And um, I think that that's something that I think all parents could could remember too. For instance, my birthday just happened a couple of weeks ago. And like, we had birthday cake and I was happy Ooh. and I looked forward to it. And we you know, hey, on many nights of the week, we're going to have banana and ice cream. We're going to have fresh fruit. But on our birthdays, we can have cake. And oh, that's yeah. that's
0: that's how it should be. <laughs> well, happy belated birthday. Thank I'm you. Sure. It was super fun. Why do you think parents struggle so much with role modeling and behavior and habit change?
1: I think first and foremost, because it's hard. Changing our behavior is really, really challenging. And it it takes a lot of deliberate planning and replanning and rolling with the punches. So even as an individual, this stuff is challenging. And then to fold in the added layer of, wow, I have a little person who's looking up to me and, you know, expecting me to kind of know what I'm doing. That's again, kind of a a heavy responsibility. Um, But I think that if you kind of track it back to the idea that we're all imperfect and we're all doing our best. And um, just to kind of have the basic standard of, I'm just going to try to keep making like, moves in the right direction in terms of like healthy lifestyle, that goes a long way. Um, But I think that it's really important to show that vulnerability, to show the human aspect of behavior change. And we're all just trying to just keep moving. That's it. Um, Yes.
0: Because really, ultimately, we want to give our children the tools to be able to Do this themselves when they're Mm -hmm. out of the nest, right? Exactly. Like we want them to be able to coach themselves. Obviously, we're still around, phone call, pay time away, but eventually they're gonna be out of the house. And you got it. Like, like just like when you went to residency, they're gonna have to make their own choices. (laughs) Exactly. So we have to role model that for them as well. Well, I want to know your opinion. Yes. Is it safe to raise fully plant-based children?
1: That is a wonderful question. And my answer is a resounding yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think that when you take a step back in terms of where we are nutritionally as a country, by and large, we're not eating enough vegetables. We're not eating enough fruits. We're not eating enough whole grains. Our fiber intake is abysmal. So this is kind of like the, st- the starting point for the quote unquote standard American diet. So when I start to discuss plant-based eating in my clinic, I I approach it from a perspective of all there is to gain versus Mm -hmm. all there is to be lost from not having animal products around. And then also really reminding families that there's really nothing unique to the nutritional profile of animals that we can't get from plant-based sources, plus or minus a supplement. And so um, what we will lose is the cholesterol and all the saturated fat and, you know, the increased disease risk in terms of diabetes and cholesterol, uh, you know, high cholesterol, heart disease, cancers. These are all things that we get to, you know, leave in the rearview mirror as we move towards more of a whole food plant based diet. So it is absolutely safe for kids. And there's so much to be gained by moving um, families in that direction, even incremental moves in that direction. Um, It doesn't have to be an all or nothing um, you know, move by any means.
0: Yeah, no, that's beautiful. And, and just like you were saying, when you talk about to your families about what to put in rather than what to take out, exactly. I just, that word that always comes to mind is just abundance. abundance. Because it's true. Once you actually Start getting the animal products out, you realize that animal products is just like a few things, right? It's it really chicken, is. it's beef, it's eggs, it's cow's milk, Jeez. maybe pork. Mm-hmm. And that's like, it's like, that's five different ingredients. Yeah. I don't know if I missed eggs, but maybe five or six, something like that. But that's only very six few different things mm-hmm. in the plant based world. I mean, just thinking about beans. There's like 400 varieties of edible incredible. beans. You know, we have 20 commercially available plant milks on the market. The variety is huge. It's every day. And we think of day. like whenever we think don't eat animal products, people are like, well, what do I eat? Right. But it's so much. It's like the question should be, what do you not eat? You exactly. know? No, so, sorry, I had to I go off on a tangent there.
1: No, I love that. That makes me so happy to hear. You know, I feel the exact same way. <laughs>
0: So what do parents need to consider? What do they need to be cautious about if they do decide to make the decision to Mm -hmm. raise a fully plant-based child?
1: So I would say one of the biggest things to keep in mind is the importance of planning, like having balanced meals that you're planning to prepare for your family. Um, Whole food, plant-based eating, especially for children who have pretty dynamic nutritional needs in terms of fat and protein and things of that nature, we really want to make sure that we're setting their plates up to reflect that. Um, So I think there's so many wonderful resources online in terms of how to be um, conscientious in terms of meal planning. That's a starting point. Um, Number two, I would say the importance of certain supplements. So depending on um, how where along the plant-based spectrum families are aiming to be, like if they're going to be exclusively plant-based, then having at least a B12 supplement is really, really critical. Um, And then also I would say consider vitamin D, um, depending on what fortified non-dairy products they're consuming in terms of soy milks or, you know, other plant-based milks or yogurts is really highly variable in terms of what those um, alternative foods are fortified with. So vitamin D, possibly calcium, um, and maybe the omega-3s. But I would say the one for sure is the B12 plus or minus the other ones. Um, Depending on what the nutritional makeup of their diet is and how picky the kid is, too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And then the last dimension, I would say, is like the social implications of moving towards plant based eating. That can be really challenging, almost more so, especially for children than the like the nuts and bolts of getting healthy plant based meals together Mm -hmm. is preparing children for Um, you know, different eating environments where there might not be as many options as at home and um, dealing with birthday parties and other occasions. What is your style going to be? Is it going to be, hey, when you go out, just eat what you're comfortable with eating. And then at home, this is what we eat. Um, That's one approach versus, hey, I'm going to show up with a plant based alternative to the birthday cake or, you know, have a side dish. So I think every family has to figure out like what their approach will be. But I think at a minimum, just think about those social dynamics and what that might mean for your kid at various stages of development.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because it can definitely change, you know, for whenever sure. they're younger and they don't have too much an opinion, you can pre-eat before mm-hmm. events, you can take something along. When they're older, I think some children might struggle a little bit more with feeling yeah. excluded exactly. if they don't participate. So every family kind of has to decide mm-hmm. where they're going to land on some of those decisions. So those are great, great um, tips there. So what would be your wildest dream come true in regards to your patient's lifestyle habits? Oh, this is a fun one. There's so many. If
1: I had a magic wand, um, I would say just in terms of how critical plant-based nutrition is in terms of opening the door to optimal health and feeling great and from head to toe, I would probably focus on um, plant-based education in terms of just like knowing the nuts and bolts of like why this style of eating is great, plus culinary med- medicine or culinary education for our kids and, and adults. Mm-hmm. I think cooking is definitely, it's starting to be on the upswing in the midst of the pandemic because we're at home and a lot of folks are eating out a lot less. So we're returning to the kitchen, which is fantastic, but a lot of us, cooking has been a lost art. And so I think teaming up um, the plant-based education plus some culinary education is a really, really wonderful combo that would lead to a lot of long-term um, benefits in terms of you know, opening up the, the, the health benefits down the road. Um, and that's on an individual level. I think that there is a ton in terms of the policy level, but focusing on the individual level, it'd be
0: that. Oh, that would be huge though. Could you imagine if every single family suddenly knew how important it was to eat fruits and vegetables and whole grains and beans and have the basic kitchen skills required to make some rice and beans and some broccoli. I mean, like that would, that would change so much for our country. So, so fast. Did you feel like when you left home, you had some basic cooking skills or did you have to teach yourself?
1: that's a great question i think my cooking <laughs> my cooking strength has definitely evolved over time but i i knew how to do a little something in the kitchen by the time I was in medical school and living independently and i actually really enjoyed cooking too so that helped me just um be more proactive about finding new recipes and just playing around in the kitchen that was actually one of my like stress relievers mm-hmm. um to large degree in med school too i would I would cook quite a bit so I had some pretty basic cooking skills. Yeah. Although my mom says now I've surpassed her in the kitchen. So I'm like, Oh, well, thank Whoa, you. Compliment.
0: <laughs> she, yeah,
1: she's, she's very sweet, very generous.
0: That's so cute. Yeah. I really, I have two sons, but mm-hmm. I tell them that I want to make sure that before they leave for college, they need to be comfortable in the kitchen. I don't yes. need them to be like master chef or anything, <laughs> but I want them to be able to put together a meal, plan yep. a meal, and you know, I think that's just so important for health in general. Mm-hmm. It's what, a life skill. Oh, for sure. Really and obviously it evolves over time and you can mm-hmm. take it to the next level if you're interested. But I feel like a lot of a lot of people would benefit if they learned mm-hmm. some of those skills early on. So I agree. I agree. What do you wish more parents knew? Mm. Oh, so
1: many things. I think this pandemic has really, really highlighted how much work quote unquote parenthood is. And I, at this particular moment, I just want parents to know they're doing awesome Mm -hmm. and that they are the exact parents that their children need. Um, I think that it's so easy to be hard on ourselves and feel like we're never doing enough, but just taking a moment back and realizing you're doing as much as you can and your, your kids are going to be better off because of you. um, that's probably the, the most important thing. And I mean, kind of extending from there that they have so much that they're uh, offering to their children that they're probably not even aware of in terms of modeling, in terms of just being and how to be in a very, very challenging moment in history that even on our, our toughest moments, we're still showing and we're still teaching and we're still loving. And so just I want parents to know they're enough. Um yes. really yeah. hard moment.
0: That love and attention is the most important thing. Yeah, we don't have is. to have a lot of money. We don't have to be great in the kitchen. We just have to love and take it from there. And that's so um, that's the starting you. point for everything. Yeah. Oh, you you have such a beautiful heart. Thank oh, you I too. love it. That's so great. Well, let's talk about you and your personal habits. What personal habit are you most proud of? How did you develop it? And how do you maintain it?
1: Oh, that's a good one. Um, hmm. I think, I know I keep kind of reflecting back to this moment of pandemic living. Um, but uh, meditation and really starting to establish that as a close to daily practice, because again, progress, not perfection. Um, I've had a lot of stops and starts over the years, um, and I've always you know been a spiritual person, but I've always um, kind of recognized that meditation would be just the next level in terms of stress reduction and being in the moment and just evolving as a person. Um, And so my hospital, actually, over the past couple of years, they started offering training uh, initially for physicians, but now it's been expanded to any employee of the hospital training in the art of living, Mm -hmm. um, which is uh, kind of a a meditative breathing technique um, that's founded in um, yoga and some other forms of, of breathing. And it's been fantastic. So I've actually done that training three times now over the course of the past probably two to three years. Um the most recent training several months ago really was I think um the magic, the magic sauce in terms of really establishing it as a routine. Um where I'm now at the point where, hey, if I don't get my meditation in, I feel off. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of my big litmus tests in terms of like when something's really entrenched and has become like a part of your fiber. Um, and so I'm really proud of that. And I think it's just taken kind of time and like start and stop, start and start, but like keeping my eye on like the final goal of like, this is important. I know I feel good when I do it. I know that there's so many health benefits from head to toe. So that kept me kind of driven, even as I was having my starts and stops along the way
0: to establish yeah. it. Well, have you developed a system around it? Is there a particular routine that there you have is. with your meditation?
1: Yes. Yeah. So my routine has been kind of pre-COVID and then post-COVID. <laughs> So pre-COVID, like, I could, like, wake up and, like, you know, have my, like, 20 to 30-minute moment before, like, mama starts calling out from the other room. Um, but now it's become more flexible where I'll do it either in the morning if I can, you know, squeeze it in or during nap time. Um, so one of those two times. I know myself enough. If, like, it doesn't happen prior to midday, then uh, nighttime becomes a little dicey.
0: Yeah. Um, so that's, that's the big thing um, for me. I love it. yeah, I'm a meditator, too. And I oh. do it after my exercise because I nice. found that after I exercise, I'm able to go a little deeper because mm-hmm. and those endorphins kind of help me settle mm-hmm. a little bit because otherwise i have crazy monkey brain and oh, yeah. like 5 minutes and i'm like uh checking how long has it been it's <laughs> been so that's awesome oh my goodness this has been such a great conversation i feel like we have so much in common and share so much so it's been so great to hear from you i know that the listeners are going to want to check you out immediately so please let my listeners know how they can connect with you Thank you, Dr. Yami. Um, So right now I'm most active
1: on Instagram. Um, Facebook will be built out soon, but for now I'm on Instagram at Kadira Huff MD. Um, And then I have a soon to launch uh, lifestyle medicine, virtual practice, Sprouting Wellness MD, also on Instagram. So, but I think finding me on Kadira Huff
0: MD, that's a great place to start. And you have that website too, the Sprouting Wellness website, right? I do.
1: I do. Yes. That's up and running um, and will be built out more too.
0: Okay, great. Oh, so wonderful. Definitely follow her immediately. She posts some great stuff. So before we say goodbye, can you please leave my listeners with one call to action? What is one thing that they can start doing today Mm. to improve their children's health?
1: Mm, I love this question. I would say schedule a family wellness check-in. It doesn't have to happen today, but schedule it today. And this can be an opportunity to touch base on where your family is in terms of their healthy habits. And then start a conversation together about where they would like to move in terms of continuing on the journey of healthy living. Um, And so at that family wellness meeting, you can create one SMART goal. Um, and that's something that should be specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time bound. And so that should be the product, ideally, of the family wellness meeting. But schedule the meeting today and let that be kind of the launch pad to wonderful, wonderful movement together as a family. Oh,
0: that's that's awesome. I love this call to action. So I'm assuming you do family wellness check-ins with your we family. Do.
1: We do. And how do. often
0: do you do them with your so, family? Every
1: couple of weeks, we try to touch base in terms of how are things going in terms of our family fitness? Are we scheduling in in terms of like going on our hikes and our family bike rides? How are things going? Um, And then the other important part is like the mental health aspect. Just touching in like, how are we doing? Like, does anybody need extra support? Just because this pandemic again has just it, there's a whole nother sub pandemic of the mental health aspect mm-hmm. and anxiety and depression being, um, you know, just at record numbers right now. So really focusing there in terms of how can we better support each other, our people's emotional needs just as important as the physical needs being met as well. So every couple of weeks we try to touch bases as a family.
0: Oh man, I'm totally gonna do this. Okay, guys, schedule a family wellness check in right now. And like we talked about before, it doesn't have to be perfect. You find your own style, you find your flow, how often you're going to do it. But let's give it a try. I think this is a great idea. I love it. Yay. Well, Dr. Huff, thank you so much for being a guest on Veggie Doctor Radio. I know that my listeners are going to benefit so much from all of your wonderful tips and experiences. Thank you so much. I had a ton of fun chatting
1: with you and I look forward to when we can meet non-virtually in In real life life,
0: right yes (laughs) awesome well i hope that you have a very plantastic day i hope that you enjoyed today's episode thank you for tuning in and i look forward to having you back again next week a very special thank you to the band rocket surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at Rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at Rocket Surgeons Music. Please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, all of my social media links can be found in the podcast description. Send me a message and let me know what you think of today's podcast. Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast and drop me a line if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again and have a plantastic day. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with.